Thank you all very much. And uh, you may have noticed or thought, why are there no lights up on this stage? But we had some power outages in the area this week, and it knocked out some of our lights. So we're a little limited today, but I appreciate our team trying to work on that. But it, it happens sometimes. So I wanted to welcome, I know today is our fifth Sunday, and on fifth Sundays we allow or have the honor of having our elementary school kids here. So why don't y'all wave? If you're in here today and you're usually not in here, can y'all wave at me? Come on, I see some of y'all. Don't be shy. There you go. All right, y'all keep your parents awake, okay? Will y'all do that? That'll be your job today. All right. All right, so let me ask you a question. So I, I was asking my 13-year-old this last night if he had ever heard this question, and he said yes, so I know some of y'all, but maybe some of you younger ones may not. Have you ever heard the question, who... Which came first, the chicken or the egg? Everybody ever heard that one? Okay, ever wondered about that? Good, yeah, absolutely, okay. So it seems to me that if God is the creator, and he is, that he would have created the chicken first, at least in my eyes. He would create the chicken, and then the chicken had the capacity to lay eggs, right? That's the way it seems to me. But then again, if he's God, he can do whatever he wants, and he could have actually created the egg first, which would birth the chicken, which would have the capacity to lay eggs, right? And you're probably going, what are you talking about, man? Now, before you all start thinking about this too much, the whole which came first thing, and before I see people getting out their phones and Googling that, just stay with me, okay? Because does that really matter in the grand scheme of things? Which came first? It really doesn't matter that much. But if you consider God to be the creator of all the universe, you know he can do and does do whatever he wants, right? And we just kind of say, I don't always understand that, and I have a lot of questions, but I still trust that he's a good God all the time. Now, we're going to continue our series one day or day one. If you haven't been here, that's all right. You decide. But we've basically been looking at this kind of this human tendency to talk about many things in our life that, hey, one day I'm going to, and some of you younger ones here, you have a lot of one-day things, you know, that you're going to get to do. One day when I get to drive, one day when I get to get out of this school or get away from my parents, have a lot of those one-day things. But what we know from human tendency is sometimes we never get around to those one-day things, do we? We never start a day one to get those things actually started, and they never actually happen. And we also have been going through the good news of Jesus Christ according to Mark, his account of Jesus' life, to help us encourage, to help encourage and motivate us to really start day one on things of eternal importance. Because the world throws a lot of things at us that are not really that important, but we think they're important, and we spend a lot of our time going after those things, but we need to know what's of eternal importance. And as we've been going through Mark, Jesus seemed to set people straight with those things. So Mark, as I've said before, throughout his gospel, throughout his account of the gospel, asked us to answer this question, is Jesus really the Son of God? Is he really the Messiah that's come into the world? And so Mark wants us, as we look at Jesus, go from place to place and day to day in his life and the things that he did and the same, the same things that he said, is he really the Messiah? And just a few pages into Mark's gospel, we see confirmation through Jesus' words, through his actions, through his authority, and through his power that he has to be the Messiah. He has to be the Son of God. Jesus has started day one of opening people's eyes to this kingdom that he has brought to hand as he's come into the earth a new covenant that he's brought 
that a lost world so desperately needs. So Jesus, as we hear during Christmas, is Emmanuel, God with us. He has put on skin and bones like us and moved to the earth. He is God in the flesh. And it was increasingly painful and disappointing for Jesus to hear the religious leaders of his time speak as if they were in authority over him when he is actually God in the flesh. Like taking laws that he had established and adding to them. Like, those weren't good enough, God. We want to add something to those laws. And in a sense, even worshiping those laws and using those laws to control people, to manipulate people, to shame people, rather than point them to a relationship with Jesus Christ. And that pained Jesus. So today we're going to look at a subject that Jesus asked a similar which came first kind of question. And this subject became a source of many investigations that the religious leaders did against Jesus. A um, a source of many accusations uh, uh, against Jesus because of this subject, the Sabbath. If you knew, they were always kind of following Jesus around. And what was he going to do unlawful on the Sabbath? They were just kind of posting people and watching him and his disciples. So we're going to look at Mark. Again, chapter 2 towards the end, verse 23, and we're going to read through that into chapter 3, verse 6. And these are going to be two separate controversies, if you will, about Jesus having to deal with the religious leader saying, you're doing what's unlawful on the Sabbath. So let's read what Mark has to say in chapter 2. So one Sabbath, Jesus was going through the grain fields, and as his disciples walked along, they began to pick some heads of grain. The Pharisees said to him, look, Why are they doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath? And he answered, Have you never read what David did when he and his companions were hungry and in need? In the days of Abathar, the high priest, he entered the house of God and ate the consecrated bread, which is lawful only for priests to eat. And he also gave some to his companions. Then he said to them, The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. And then into chapter 3, Mark tells us, Another time Jesus went into the synagogue, and a man with a shriveled hand was there. Some of them were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus, so they watched him closely to see if he would heal him on the Sabbath. Jesus said to the man with the shriveled hand, Stand up in front of everyone. Then Jesus asked them, Which is lawful on the Sabbath, to do good or to do evil, to save life or to kill? But they remained silent. He looked around at them in anger and deeply distressed at their stubborn hearts. He said to the man, stretch out your hand. He stretched it out and his hand was completely restored. Then the Pharisees went out and began to plot with the Herodians how they might kill Jesus. Yikes. Now we don't seem to have a lot of background on this first instance. The Pharisees confront Jesus about his disciples who were doing something unlawful on the Sabbath. They're walking through a grain field, and they're plucking off some of the heads, and I'm imagining they're just kind of plucking those and popping them in their mouth. You ever done that? Maybe no one's ever done that, but I've gone through places and like taken uh, blackberries or, or something like that when you're going through something. And so that's basically what they're doing. We're not sure if they were coming from the synagogue or going Um, are are going to the synagogue. But we know Jesus throughout the Gospels, even in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, all the Gospels, we see that Jesus made it on the Sabbath a priority to worship. Even if he was teaching, he went to synagogues and he worshiped with the people wherever he was at. That was a priority. So they're probably coming or going. But what is kind of interesting to me about this is how do the Pharisees know what they're doing in the middle of a grain field? 
Well, it's because they've kind of set up these moral police that are watching Jesus and his disciples everywhere they go. And they're like, what are they doing now? Hey, come here. Look what they're doing. They're trying to catch them doing something unlawful. And to be a religious leader, that seems really odd that you would be doing that. But that's what they're doing. And we see this over and over again. So think about that. Was it really unlawful to pick heads of grain as you're walking through a field? Was that considered working on the Sabbath? Now, I don't know how much you know about the Sabbath, but we kind of, for most of us, we know the Ten Commandments, right? And the fourth commandment is, remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Yeah, the first service did that too. So most of us kind of know that. That's a day we set aside and we don't work and we rest and we worship God. That's important to do. That's kind of been understood. But as far as the no work things, I don't know how many of us really take that seriously on the Sabbath. Because I'm pretty sure some of y'all go home and not right now, but you would cut your grass. Okay? You're going to maybe do something of work related. Maybe, you know, we all have probably done that. We don't think that's a really big deal. So we understand the no work is supposed to be done, but picking heads of grain with your hands and popping it in your mouth, is that really working? Well, let's go back to the Old Testament where the original law came from. And we call it the law of Moses because God gave these laws to Moses and to the Israelites specifically. If you're going to be my chosen people, you were to reflect to the rest of the world what it means to be a God follower. And you're supposed to reflect that to the rest of the world. So you have these special laws that set you apart and keep you holy. And one of them was to remember uh, to keep the Sabbath day. So this is what it says in Exodus 31, verses 12 through 17. Then the Lord said to Moses, Say to the Israelites, you must observe my Sabbath. This will be a sign between me and you for the generations to come, so that you may know that I am the Lord who makes you holy. Observe the Sabbath because it is holy to you. Anyone who desecrates it is to be put to death. Those who do any work on that day must be cut off from their people. For six days work is to be done, but the seventh day is a day of Sabbath rest, holy to the Lord. Whoever does any work on the Sabbath is to be put to death. The Israelites are to observe the Sabbath, celebrating it for generations to come as a lasting covenant. It will be a sign between me and the Israelites forever. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, and on the seventh day he rested and was refreshed. Now that's a little scary, isn't it? I mean, if you're going to the point to say, if anybody does work, they're to be put to death. I don't know if that ever happened, but think about that was people said, this is God is not messing around. This is serious to observe that. And Leviticus, again, is another part of that. The first five books of the Bible that talk about the laws. There are six days when you may work, but the seventh day is a day of Sabbath rest, a day of sacred assembly. You are not to do any work wherever you live. It is a Sabbath to the Lord. But interestingly, over in Deuteronomy, because they had rules for everything, y'all. And I've told you before, if you have trouble sleeping, break out the book of Leviticus. And there's all, I mean, there is laws for everything. But listen to this in Deuteronomy 23. If you enter your neighbor's vineyard, you may eat all the grapes you want, but, not, but do not put any in your basket. Because that would be work if you were putting them in your basket. But if you're just eating some, that's okay. But you can't take any with you. And then he says, if you enter your neighbor's grain field, you may pick kernels with your hands, but you must not put a sickle to their standing grain. Do any of you little kids here know what a sickle is? Not a bicycle. What is it? 
That's exactly right. Good job, Jack. All right. You got awesome parents that taught you in a great educational system. So it's a sickle. So that would be work. If you're having to take it and cut a lot of it, that means you're working, right? You're working. But they were just plucking a little piece off. Is that really working? So it just makes us think about this whole thing. Jesus, though, did not respond, as you notice, with these scriptures going back to the original law because he goes, these guys know the original law. I don't know why they're doing this. But he decides to respond instead with an example of a real person named David that he knew that they knew. Now, David was arguably the greatest king of Israel's history. I mean, that was the golden era of Israel when David was king. They ruled the world at that time. And then even after that, his son Solomon was maybe possibly even greater than David. But that was the golden era. So he brings up David. And he mentions that King David, and you can go to this in 1 Samuel 21. I'm not going to read that, but you can go to that if you want to later. David and his men were running from the um, then King Saul. David has already been anointed. He's going to be the future king. And Saul knows this, and he's so jealous he wants to kill David. And David is running for his life with his men going from place to place. And he comes to this place, and he meets this priest named Ahimelech, and he says, Look, My guys are starving. I'm starving. Do you have any bread here with you? He goes, man, I don't have any normal bread. All I have is the consecrated bread. And David, you know, nobody's supposed to eat that but us priests. But David goes, Saul's trying to kill me, and we're starving. I need that bread. So the priest says, okay, you can have the bread. And they ate it, and he gave it to his his men. And Jesus knows or knew that the Pharisees knew this story. And he knew that they knew that David would eventually become not just king, but the greatest king of Israel. And if arguably Israel's greatest king broke the law out of desperate hunger in order to stay alive, and Saul was trying to kill him, and God still made David king after this, what does that say about the situation between the law there? It's interesting. If I can kind of bring that to a modern experience. Now, we all love Chick-fil-A, right? We love Chick-fil-A. And this is one of the days that we go, oh, that's right, they're not open. And sometimes we forget about that, and then we go, oh, yeah, that's right. But think about Chick-fil-A. They have had a, a part of who they are as a company. Part of one of their values is that they don't open on Sundays. And they're not pharisaical about it, but they say, we don't open on Sundays because we trust that, as God said, those six days we can... Uh, open up and, 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 and you know, give great food and great service to people. But on the seventh day, we want our people to have a rest and a Sabbath that work for us. So they're going to do that. And they've stayed pretty true to that. But as consistent as they are, there's sometimes, well, at least one time I know of, there was a little wiggle room. And y'all may remember this. In 2018, do you remember there was a big blackout at the Atlanta airport? Do y'all remember this? And it shut down everything at the airport. And it was kind of a, a, a bad situation. You know, being one of the world's, Busiest airports, and this blackout resulted in thousands or at least hundreds of canceled flights and countless stranded passengers. And the Atlanta uh, city government's trying to go, where are we going to put these people? We've got to get them into hotel rooms, working with the airlines, and all this stuff was going on. And while they were trying to do that, they tweeted out that the meals would be handled not by them, but by Chick-fil-A. And this was on a Sunday, and they had to call some stores, and some people had to open up their stores and make some Chick-fil-A's and and get them to people. Now, was that working? Yes, it was working. Was that wrong? Did any of you hear about that and go, you know what, I'm never going to Chick-fil-A again because they broke the law. They broke their values. No, they did it. Why? 
to help people in need, didn't they? It seems obvious to everybody that, yeah, we understand. You don't make this a, a every, day, every Sunday thing, but in this case, people needed help, and you were called on to help them. And, of course, that's part of Chick-fil-A's value system as well. So it's interesting that after Jesus gave this real-life example of David, he made this stunning statement, which basically is a kind of a which-came-first statement, and he answers that for them. The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. You, as a human, were created first, and God made the Sabbath for you. He didn't create the Sabbath first and then create you for the Sabbath. No, the Sabbath is for you. Yes, it's for me too, but it's for you. And so God created man first and then later gave these laws as guardrails and accountability. And resting on the Sabbath is and was a gift to humans, to rest and remember God and His provisions over those other six days. And Jesus is making the point, I just told you about David, and God was okay on that certain day because of what happened. And now one greater than King David is here, and so the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath, is what Jesus tells these religious leaders. So Mark lets us just read this on the pages of his gospel and says, so is Jesus the Messiah? And Mark again lets us answer that question as we listen to Jesus. The Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. Jesus is answering that for us. Yes, I am. And the Pharisees knew what this meant. But again, they are put in their place and they have nothing to say because they refuse to acknowledge that Jesus is the Messiah. They won't do it. They can't do it. They refuse once again to start day one of acknowledging that maybe they have set up a religious system that's all about the law and not about relationship with God. They can't do it. This is who they are. They were legalists who had lost touch with the intent of what God's law was all about. They had set themselves up as moral police who used the law as a weapon to exclude people, rather to include people into God's kingdom. And they were misrepresenting God and what His will was. So we go from that account to Mark again in chapter 3 shows us another attempt of the Pharisees to catch Jesus doing something wrong. So we're going to read this next, we read that next one where he's actually going into a synagogue to worship and possibly even teach at this synagogue on this particular Sabbath day. And notice in there, he says there is a man there with a shriveled hand and some of them were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus. So they watched him closely to see if he might heal this guy on the Sabbath. Now, let's just kind of walk through that for a minute. This is a worship service on the Sabbath day, and people are coming to worship God, to hear God's word. I don't know if they had, uh, you know, musical instruments in their worship services in the synagogue, but they did worship. There was prayer. There was things that they did. But you're in the synagogue for a worship, to worship God, and the leaders of your faith tradition are not really focused on what's going on to point you to God and worshiping Him They are all waiting there to see if this Jesus comes in and he's going to heal this man who has a shriveled hand. God's not the focus. God's word's not the focus. But this guy and what Jesus is going to do. So they're all going, what's he going to do? Let's see what Jesus does. See if he heals him on the Sabbath. Because we're going to be ready for that. We're going to nail him if he does it. Can you imagine sitting in a worship service with people that are thinking like that? Now this man... And, I, you know, I don't know if this man was actually even from this area or they brought him in from a different area, but they've obviously kind of set Jesus up for this. And I don't know the answers if they 
brought him in from a different area. But he was there and they knew it. And they were looking to see what Jesus would do. And this man obviously has some sort of a disability. I don't know if he was born with it or if it was caused by an accident of some sort. I think Luke, when he talks about this, he says it was actually his right hand. And that had some significance there. But the fact that the Pharisees were seemingly using this man as a bait for Jesus says a lot about their character and a lot about their heart. And Jesus tells the man to stand up in front of everyone. And can you imagine this guy? He's going, uh-oh, now he's called me out. These guys have already been watching me. I know, I'm, I know people are looking at me, and you may be trying to hide his hand so no one notices. But Jesus says, I want you to stand up in front of everybody because Jesus knows what they're thinking. He knows what this is all about. And Jesus knows they're just looking for a reason to condemn him. They, they couldn't care less about this man and his disability. And then Jesus says, which is lawful on the Sabbath, to do good or to do evil, to save life or to kill? And now they have nothing to say. They remain silent. And listen to how Mark describes Jesus' feelings inside. He looked around at them in anger and deeply distressed at their stubborn hearts. He said to the man, stretch out your hand. He stretched it out and his hand was completely restored. This made Jesus angry. Is anger a sin? Some of y'all don't know how to answer that. Oh, I'm in church. Should I say yes? No. Uh, no, anger is not a sin. It's what we do in anger, isn't it? And Jesus had a right to be angry at these religious leaders who were supposed to be showing people what a relationship with God was about, and yet they're doing this, trying to catch Jesus in something unlawful. And Jesus was deeply distressed at their stubborn hearts. Jesus' questions are to get answers about the real intent of God creating the Sabbath for humans. Is it to do good or is it to do evil, to save life or to kill? And it's obvious, to do good, to save life. And Mark lets us know that Jesus is deeply distressed by this and their, their actions and their, even what they're thinking in their hearts. And this was supposed to be a worship service to God, but it had been turned into this opportunity or this setup to catch Jesus doing something unlawful. William Willimon states about the controversy in the worship service that day. The clash with authority was not over the rules, but over who rules. Think about that for a minute. It really wasn't about the rules. They wanted Jesus to know, we're in charge. We're the ones that rule. And Jesus was going, you don't even understand. God in the flesh is in your midst and you don't even receive him and don't even get it. It really was about who rules. And interestingly here, Jesus told the man to stretch out his hand, and he did. And then the man's hand was healed, wasn't it? Did Jesus work to do that? All he did was tell the man to stretch out his hand. He didn't do any work. And some of the other healings, we know that Jesus uh, made some mud and rubbed, put it in the man's eyes, or he touched someone, and he did things where he actually put his hands on someone. But in this instance, Jesus doesn't do anything but just said, hold out your hand. And everybody saw in the midst of that whole worship service, this man's hand was shriveled and it's not anymore. That would be something you would rejoice about and be glad. But what do you know? If Jesus really wasn't who he said he was, why would God have healed that man's hand that day? The Son of Man is Lord, even of the Sabbath. And Mark lets us just sit there as if we were witnessing this in our own worship service. So is Jesus the Messiah? You just saw him tell that man to hold his hand up and now it's healed. I think he's the Messiah. 
And so we see the next verse, the Pharisees answer this question, is, the, is he the Messiah? They answer it by their actions. Then the Pharisees went out and began to plot with the Herodians how they might not hang out with Jesus, not go to lunch with Jesus, but how they might kill Jesus. What does this tell you? Was plotting considered work according to the Sabbath? How about plotting to kill someone? Would that be work during the Sabbath? Apparently it was okay to plot to kill someone on the Sabbath, according to those religious leaders. And they were plotting not just to kill Jesus, but with the Herodians. I don't know if you caught that. And you go, well, who are the Herodians? Connected to Herod, I'm assuming. And Herod the Great, son, King Herod Antipas was the king at the time. And these were the sweet people, the Herodians, who arrested John the Baptist and had him beheaded. Oh, they're good at killing people. So let's plot together with them after the worship service. Pascal is credited with saying this, Men never do evil so completely and cheerfully as when they do it from religious conviction. I'll read that again. Men never do evil so completely and cheerfully as when they do it from religious conviction. So think about being in worship service that day. And you've heard Jesus talk about the Sabbath. You've heard Jesus say these things to these guys. You saw him heal this man. And you would probably walk away from that service going, that's got to be a man of God. He just healed that man's hand. And he gave me a new way of thinking about the Sabbath. He said it was for me. God created the Sabbath for me. That makes me feel special. He said that it was for doing good. It was for saving life. And I've been walking around my whole life on the Sabbath, going to worship because I felt obligated to go and I was afraid the religious leaders would point out that I did something unlawful around the corner. They would catch me. But Jesus made me think different about that. And they walked away from that service feeling encouraged and maybe closer to God. But the most spiritual people in the synagogue that day went out not thinking how they could do good, but plotting to kill Jesus. Can you even imagine? So I think about... In the worship service, what are we thinking about? Now, I'll be honest with you. When I was growing up, and even as an adult, I've been in churches and people speaking, and about halfway through, I go, oh, I haven't been paying attention. I've been totally thinking about something else, and I don't even know where he is right now, and i got to kind of get back in. And some of y'all can nod your head and go, yeah, yeah, I'm guilty. Yeah, falling asleep during sermons. All that stuff. Somebody's laughing because you know you do it. It happens. We're tired. And a lot of times that's because something in our hearts, something in our minds is so overwhelming that it's hard for us to focus, isn't it? I'm here to worship, but man, I'm just overwhelmed with something in my heart and my mind, and I'm thinking about that. But God help us if we were thinking about something during worship service, like how we're going to kill the speaker. Man, that would be pretty rough. I hope none of y'all are thinking that. Okay? That would be disturbing. That would be disturbing. But what do you and I need to leave here today after hearing Mark's account of what Jesus did during both of these two Sabbath controversies? Well, I hope you leave knowing what Jesus said, that the Sabbath is really for you. He had you in mind when he said, remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. You in, in relationship with him. The Sabbath was made for you. It's a gift. And it's lawful to do good things. That means on the way home, if someone's broke down on the side of the road, God's okay with you stopping to help them. 
Even if you have to get your hands dirty and work to lift their flat tire off and help them put their spare on. He's okay with that. It's okay if you're taking and making a meal this afternoon to take to somebody who may need it. It's okay. Jesus is Lord even of the Sabbath. But I thought about today, what if, could you imagine, we're getting ready to go into a time of communion in a little bit, but could you imagine during communion if I or some of our elders or some of our staff While it was communion time, what if I was sitting on this front row and instead of taking out my little pack of communion, I turned around and just started watching, scanning. Who's going to take communion in an unworthy manner? Because I'm watching. You know, Paul says that, don't take communion in 1 Corinthians in an unworthy manner. So I'm watching. And so you're trying to take communion and I'm watching. And I'm like, see that lady over there? We need to talk to her after service. See that guy over there? He didn't open his package right. He was too loud. Now we're laughing, but would you be disturbed if I was doing that during the worship service? Please nod your head, yes. That would be wrong, okay? That would be really wrong for me to do that because I'm acting like I'm above. I need to take communion because I need to remember my sins that my Savior died for. I don't need to be worried about what anybody else is doing. That's part of worship. But what do you and I need to leave here today thinking about? Maybe this Sabbath day. Maybe someone here today needs to make Jesus the Lord of your life today. And some may argue that the Sabbath is Saturday. And I get that. And you can send me an email about that. And we can go on the theological about all that. You know, and I'm not making fun of people that think you know, that it's still Saturday. That's fine. But you do know the early Jesus followers seem to have made Jesus' resurrection day on Sunday the new Sabbath. You do understand that's why we worship on Sunday now. It doesn't mean that the old one doesn't matter and people that do that are wrong. I'm not saying any of that. I'm just saying this is why we do it on Sunday. And it seemed to be a lot less about not working and more about worship to God to those early Jesus followers. And I hope it is to us that we come here not so much about not working, but I need to worship God. I need to rest. And Jesus is the one who said, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden. And what did he say? I will give you what? Rest. Yeah, you can remember it. And the one that calls us to rest is the one who set up this day for us. And worship shouldn't be a burden. It shouldn't be something that we worry about. We're going to mess up or, or break a rule, but that we're here to commune with God and with our other fellow Jesus followers. So maybe there's somebody here today that needs to make this day one of following Jesus. And we're going to offer that opportunity as we always do. And maybe you're looking for a church home. And I can tell you, we break the rules around here and mess up. We are not perfect, but we're committed to that relationship with God first. Not so much the letter of the law, but that relationship with God first. And so as the Praise team comes to to lead us in a song. We're going to go into a time of worship where we do remember Jesus. And he asked us to do something else. Yeah, he talked about the Sabbath was important. But he says, when you meet and worship, I want you to remember my sacrifice on that cross through something called communion, communion. A little piece of bread that reminds you of my body that was nailed to that cross. A little cup of juice that reminds you of the blood that I shed so that you could be restored to me again. 
And so we're going to do that in just a minute. And if you're visiting with us today or a guest with us today, you don't have to be a member here. If you're a believer and want to participate, we invite you to do that. If you didn't get one of those little things, there's some baskets and these back tables on the back walls. So you can go back and get you one of those. But we're going to sing this next song. And if you have a decision that, to name Jesus as Lord of your life or you need to join us in our fellowship here, we're going to give you that opportunity as we stand and sing and prepare our hearts for communion. Let's stand together.